the entertainment lighting podcast thanks for downloading we're talking about lighting the people that do it and how they do what they do we're on the web at castinglightpodcast.com we tweet at podcasting light and you can find us on facebook at casting light podcast i'm your host jason Marin. our co-host today is Teresa unfreed hello welcome back Teresa. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> so uh, where can people find some information about you online? Mm, you can find out more information at TajEventProductions.com. That's our website. And then um, we have a Facebook account. So Taj Event Productions on Facebook and at Taj Events on Twitter. Thanks very much for that. Absolutely. Our guest today is Sean Kaufman. Hi. Hi, Sean. Sean is a lighting designer for special events, theater, opera, television, video shoots, He's also a designer of fixtures. He designed his own uh, LED fixture called the SFK. And he also runs a division of a multinational events production company. Does that sound about right, Sean? That's about it, yeah. Uh, awesome. Um, welcome, Sean. Thank Thanks. you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, of course, you know Teresa. I yes. do. How do you know Teresa? How do you and Teresa know each other? Do you want to say that? I'm... Well, I started, I started freelancing yeah. for you once. I think it was Marquesa. Gig. Yeah. And um, and then Sean and I met during Fashion Week over at Center 548, mm-hmm. working together for, gosh, what was the first show? It was Porsche and... Porsche was the first one? No, it was like either Joie or... London Joie and Zach Posen, I think, yeah. was that year. So yeah, we started working together for Fashion Week. Yep, at Center 548. Which is great. That's and then cool. we've done a couple other things outside of Center, just across the street over at the DS space. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so Sean, what are you working on then? Um, this moment, I'm on vacation, which is nice. It's the first time in a while. Um, but then, um, we're coming back in January and working on a number of shows, um, inside of New York and kind of around the country, actually. Um, doing a number of shows in, in LA, a couple of shows in Ohio recently, doing some gala events in Ohio. For, Where in Ohio? Um, Columbus. Okay. Actually, for, um, the Wexners. I was going to say, you guys are there quite a bit, aren't you? Um, not, not a lot. We just we just it. started. Yeah, we just started working there for the last uh, couple of months. So T- totally unrelated, but Columbus is a great food scene. Yeah, you know, I haven't had a chance to do that in Columbus yet. I understand, but, but at some yeah. point, hopefully. Yeah, we're hoping to do that. That's on our list of going and eating, eating, and then finding something that's amazing and yeah. and, and having some time to sit down and relax. Columbus is a really interesting city. Yeah, yeah. So, so I that's, so that's all through the company, right? Yeah. What's, yeah. what's the company? What's well, tell tell us all about what it is and what you do there. Um, CS Lighting is a division of CS Global. Um, we do special events for um, our company. We also do outside events. Um, so we do fa- fashion product launches, um, some TV. Um, what else? Uh, kind of a mix of everything. And then I also do. Um, still do theater, so that all goes through CS Lighting as well. So, for example, in January, um, Mandy Berry, who works for me, she's going out to um, Atlanta. She's stage managing an auto show um, event, and then I'm going to be in Portland, Oregon, doing um, an opera for, um, doing an opera for uh, Portland Opera. It's going to be uh, Carmen. So, yeah. 
That's very cool. Yeah, so it's doing that and then jumping right into Fashion Week and, and doing event, a bunch of events there. So um, doing a couple of events in New York for that, obviously, and then going out to L.A. to do Tom Ford, who's normally in uh, in London. But this year he's doing a, doing his fashion show in, in L.A. Angeles. Yeah. So and then that's, that's all through CS. And that's all through CS, yeah. Yeah, so it's a mix of mix of everything. And, yeah, again, bringing in everything that I do in through CS. So... Uh, so, uh, wh- what is C- like what is CS Global, and how did it come to existence, and how did you get involved with it? CS Global used to be a company called Spec Entertainment, um, and they do product launches, fashion shows, um, special events, and uh, they produce all, the whole event essentially. Um, so everything from hiring the models to doing the set design to doing the lighting design to um, being the producer for it to um, stage managing it, production managing it. Um, we do all of that. And then um, I got into it when I was at a previous company and um, I they were a client essentially. And um, for we were working together for four or five years and eventually I decided to leave that company and they said, well, why don't you come to CS and, or come to SPEC at the time and, and start a, your own division there. So, um, Interesting. I, yeah, so I left and then we started CS, well, we started spec, spec lighting at the time and then now it's CS lighting. Um, the CS, cha- the change happened when, um, we merged with a company in Berlin. Uh, we had been doing a number of events in Berlin and, um, we were working with one company called Colorstorm, And at that time we decided that it made more sense for us to merge than to keep sharing resources. Uh, so, um, the two companies merged and the Berlin office moved some people to New York, New York moved a couple of people to the Berlin office. So that's how CS started as a, as a full company. And then, um, together we also opened up a, an office in China. So now we have three offices. So what was that process like? The creating your own division in a previously existing company, and what support did you get from them, and what did you have to ask them for that they weren't already giving you? Well, I think the thing about starting a, a company or starting a division is that you have to look at your infrastructure, obviously. Um, so at first, it started with just me having a desk inside of an office, and then saying, "Okay, well, um, in t- in terms of talking to the the company, explaining." that we're going to be crewing and we're going to be renting equipment and um, we're going to be getting like um, um, certificates and we're going to be getting licenses for things and um, we're going to need certificates of insurance and um, just things that we had that the company had done but um, now it was on like a larger level or in a more significant level um, so um, we had to buy more insurance, obviously. We had to look at our workers' comp. We had to incre- increase our workers' comp. Um, some of this is dull, but uh, and you're very familiar with it. Yeah, completely. And um, then we had to... Well, I mean, I, you know, I think Teresa's a good example. It's like, you know, there's, there's people, you know part of the purpose of this, of this podcast is to reach out to people who are doing things other than just straight theatrical lighting design. You know, people who went to school for the for theatrical lighting design, let them know that there are other things they can be doing, let them know what the challenges and the opportunities are. Yeah. So... This is actually really useful information. Great, great. Something that would have been great to have available when we were thinking of us. Well, I think that's what we've yeah. always talked about is that 
at purchase, we didn't have the um, the business part of it, right. which I'm talking to um, a number of students now. It seems like they, they have it, and they've, they've been doing um, classes when I went to purchase in the 90s. Um, it's, it's, you know, that, that business acumen didn't exist, really. Um, and obviously, as people are realizing that there's more than just theater and just opera and dance, that you can go and do right. a bunch of different things that, you know, you need to learn the business part. I mean, just coming out of college, you need to know on your first job how much you're going to charge someone. So, um, you know, it's great to have that class or great to have an idea of what, what you want to, um, what you need to charge on your, on your first, um, on your first job and then evolving from there. Um, but yeah, so we, we spend the time just talking about structure, talking about, um, how much we're going to charge per event, um, what our labor is going to cost us, what, what we can actually charge for labor, who our, our clients are going to be and, um, and what those clients can afford to pay, what we, um, what we're really trying to, to focus on in terms of those, those clients. So, um, it was really everything. Um, how many, how many staff members we're going to have in the office, how we're going to, um, adjust to going up to five people in the office when we're in a busy, busy season, how we're going to reduce that down once we, um, aren't busy or once we slow down, what does being busy mean? What does being slow mean? Um, how, how you keep your business up while you're slow or, or when, when you're not doing, doing seasonal work. So, um, yeah, it was, a, a, a everything. Um, yeah, it's definitely a cyclical business and there are definitely businesses that don't haven't still have managed to not adjust to that. Yeah. Which is, it, it's always a little bit strange. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, when you, when you have a business like working in fashion or, or, yeah, mostly in, a lot of times in fashion, you can time or you can say exactly when you're going to be be busy. You're going to be busy August, September, and then you're going to be busy in January, February. And then if you're if you're solely focusing on fashion, then you're slow any other time, essentially, unless you have a client that's going to be pulling you in to um, do a product launch or, or a, another private event or a separate event. Um, so it was saying, okay, well, are we going to be completely focused on fashion? Are we going to do other things? Can I continue doing, um, opera and television and, um, and theater at the same time? Are those people going to get the same rate or are they, how is that going to work? You know, so it's, it's, um, yeah, I was really talking about everything and, and how, um, how the lighting part really works with the rest of the company, whether or not. Um, we're taking the same kind of clients, whether or not the clients are, um, we're considered, or we call ourselves a luxury, um, company. So if we're doing luxury events, if I'm pulling in something that is, um, a, an emerging designer, um, is that, does that person have to fall under the luxury kind of understanding or is it, all right, well, we're we're trying to generate business. You know, so. or, or are they being you know handled by a another say, say division of the company that's called something else? The branding isn't off, right? Exactly. So I mean, so at that time, you know, we were going through all of that, and so um, the lighting part allowed us to say, okay, well, we'll um, do, we'll take some of the smaller clients, we'll take uh, an emerging designer and work with them, and that allows us to um, design it or produce the show. 
where if if CS Global wasn't really going to do something like that because they're they're not a luxury brand, then it allowed us to have some flexibility with that. Um, so yeah, that was a large discussion of, about how that works. Thing, actually, yeah. with that too, that's, that's, it was very intelligent. It's very smart. Yeah. Well, thanks. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it's also the evolution and also understanding, you know, if, if you start turning down those clients at the beginning, then, you know, when, if they become a larger company, you go back to them and say, hey, you're bigger now. Well, now we're interested Now we can work you. with you. Yeah, yeah exactly. you're never, you're never going to get them back or you're yeah. never going to get them in the first place. Right? Yeah, you can take an example from a couple of episodes ago, Seth Bernstein, who joined up a band of outsiders, you know, when they were brand new and they were just having their first show. And yeah, they were tiny, but that has turned into... Uh, you know, at this point, half a year of work for him, nearly every year. Yeah. So. Uh, so. So yeah, we're we're doing that with Public School actually. That's a, a brand that um, has been doing really well for the last, uh, I think, four four seasons. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we we work with them and um, do basically every event that they have. Um, you know, where as they build, we we grow with them. So. What did your What did your projections show? Like, what projections did you do, and how did they differ from actual reality for the first couple of years? I, I think projection wise, we were very modest in terms of what we were expecting, and we knew that um, I had some outside clients that I could bring in, and we had events inside of New York and um, inside of CS. So um, we we knew that we were going to be a certain size, and that we were going to. Um, sustain the division and we projected for the year okay well we have 50 events and we we know what our um, our outlay for the year is going to be and and okay we're going to cover that and maybe we'll make some profit on it um, and we did and in the last couple of years we've um, we've been in that um, in in that target I would say I mean I, we haven't we haven't um, found that you know, we were way completely off base and, and had no idea that, you know, it was going to, it was going to be different. So, um, you know, th things change and, and clients change. So that's, that's one of the things that we are always trying to, um, to deal with is the evolution of the, of the business, the evolution of clients and, um, the changing of the economy where, you know, a, a client decides that they're not going to do any events for the, for the year and, and how we offset, um, those not kind of those, yeah, yeah, not having those, and um, somebody that's seasonal all of a sudden is not seasonal, or you know they didn't sell any clothes this year, so they're not going to do a fashion show. So um, it's really it's really kind of trying to figure out how you roll with punches on that, just like any other business, um, trying to figure out how to how to make that work every every year and tallying the number of designers you have for fashion week and and saying okay well you know we have we have this many but you know two people dropped out so we for whatever reason and we have to fill those two slots so we are as busy as we were last year or so we can keep the people that we've been working with year to year the same or keep them busy so because they're expecting or they're hoping to work with you for for the season so um so yeah, it's it's trying to figure that out. I think that's the if that answers your question in the no, no, it, it, it does. Yeah. You know, I wondered was it was it uh, mentoring that where you learned what you know about business and running a business? Like how did you how did you? So she said you didn't get it from purchase. Yeah. Really, I mean, and, um, and clearly you know what you're doing because 
You know, and, and if you tell me that your projections were so close to what you actually end up with in your first couple of years, that's incredible. Yeah. So clearly you, you knew. So where'd you learn it? Well, I think, you know, before I was at, at SPEC and CS, um, I was I was traveling and I was freelancing a lot. And I also worked at BLT for seven, eight, ten years, something like that. <laughs> I can't remember now. Um, but and, and we learned a lot of that. We learned a lot of how to budget a show and, and to... Um, figure out what you needed and, and covering everything and, and this business. I mean, just in fashion, someone brings you into the room and you look at the room and you say, okay, well, I need to do 50 lights here. I need four positions. It's going to be a 150 foot long runway. And, you know, there are going to be 30 models, you know, they on the spot, a lot of times they say, how much is that going to cost? Mm-hmm. So you, so you have to budget, you have to budget in your head. And then, you know, you, you, I, I take that and equate that to, to the business part of it. Okay, I, I have to do this. I have to do this based on this. And I, I also know that potentially they're not going to get the space. So we might have to increase it by 30%. We might have to decrease it by 30%. I'm, I don't know until I hear that, but I know that I have to respond to that quickly. So um, it was spending years budgeting on shows, I would think, that... Um, that it's trying to figure that out and then bring that over to um, the the business aspect of it or the, the full business aspect of it as opposed to um, just figuring out the cost of a show, your profit, everything else. Right. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing. Once you get into a position like this, you start realizing what you don't know. And once once you once you are doing the budgets, you're like, yeah, okay, I can I can budget a show. If I can budget a show, I can run a business. And then you start running it, and you're like, okay, I didn't know this. All right, so I got to do this knowledge. Yeah, yeah. so I have to. Oh, I got to figure out this part. Okay, and you know, this I didn't realize we're gonna need you know this much insurance or you know whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, there there've been moments where it's just like you you know you you're working on a show and. Um, all of a sudden, somebody calls in and says, "Like, hey, Kanye West is going to be uh, is going to be um, performing a, a, a two songs on this show, so we need to bring in the following writer." And you're like, "Wow, okay." So, all of a sudden, I'm calling up my uh, my rental company. I'm like, "So, what's the replacement value of all this equipment here?" And they're like, "Well, it's two and a half million dollars." Like, okay. So, call my insurance agent. It's like, "Hey, can you increase my uh, my um, equipment liability insurance for?" You know, two million dollars because I'm about to uh, rent two million dollars worth of equipment. Yeah. So I mean, it's um, yeah, it's I think a lot of it, and and that's what we've learned over the years is rolling with the punches and just you know being quick thinking and, and trying to um, really be responsive to your client and responsive to the industry and responsive to um, the the event that you're working on. So, how do you keep tabs on what the industry is doing and the direction it's moving? Um, you take a lot of people out to drinks. <laughs> I mean, frankly, you know, you, you go out and you talk to people and you see what they're doing and um, you um, have meetings about what they're doing and what their projection is and, and um, how, how they feel like they're going to do for the year. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, a, lo- it's, a lot of it's legwork. And... Um, just talking to people about how how they're doing, and um, you know, and then also, um, obviously, 
with fashion or with um, special events. It's it's everything in the media. It's, you know, re- just paying attention to everything. You know, just reading small articles about you know about weather changing or or small articles about um, you know somebody doing a um, uh, I don't know just just you know somebody sales in China or you know somebody's uh, how somebody's how their um, their business is being responded to in India or I mean for us there's the, when we're working with with our clients there are a number of clients that we have that are international so we have to understand what's going on internationally to um, to respond to them and to know that um, that when we're speaking to them if, if they say hey we want to do an event in in China or we want to do an event in India or or somewhere else where we're not saying oh great well you know we should just do it in this city and they're like well they just had an earthquake so that would be a bad idea or you know they're going to be in a monsoon that whole time so um you know we can't we can't exactly go go there so it's yeah it's paying attention to weather it's paying attention to sure. the economy and yeah. um yeah really kind of trying to pay attention to the situations that are going on in those places that you're going to be in yeah so I mean, I joke that I don't spend a lot of times drafting because I'm spending a lot of times, you know, going out for drinks and talking to people or meeting clients and, and talking to them about that. Or um, I'm not reading enough about about the news, but you know, <laughs> trying to trying to stay up on everything as much yeah. as possible. So I don't really I don't really spend a lot of times in, in time looking at um, lighting equipment or or reading up on on lighting fixtures. Um, I, I end up somehow using them and, and pulling them in and, and looking at the equipment. So um, when I hear it's new, when I see a release, you know, then I'll take a look at something. But I'm I'm not I'm not actively a lot of times um, going to like this year. We decided that we were going to go to LDI um, and we're going to go next year. But we are we're on like that two year cycle. I think that a lot of people do. Um, so we skip. I'm just I'm just never at time. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to go. My friends who go every year. Yeah. Great. Well, I mean, and, and a lot of times, I mean, that's, it's, well, it's, it's great for business. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. your networking. That's yeah. how you get, you know, what's happening out there. It's, yeah. it's feeling your climate for our industry as well. Yeah. Although, to, to, be, to be frank about it, it's like it lets you know the condition of the lighting manufacturing end of the business, not so much the, you know, the, the part of the, not so much specifically what you do. So it's, you know, it's, I think it's more valuable to do what you're doing. You know, and keeping tabs on, especially since you're working internationally so much. I mean, yeah. I, I I know that CS is a, is a global company. How much of what you do specifically is is international? Um, for our division, you mean? Or well, just you personally? How many you know international shows do you touch versus how many domestic shows do you touch? Um, we do about fifty or or sixty shows a year. Um, of that, we probably do ten to twelve out of the country. Um, that's between um, China and. Um, Europe, so um, it's it's usually me going out to do all of the uh, the um, international events, um, and then Renee a lot of times Renee Molina who works for me as well or works for CS Lightning as well. Um, she she she'll go out and, and probably do two or three of them a year as well. So we stay pretty busy, but yeah we. I, I would say each one of those events events is less than a week, so. 
Yeah, so so you know, knowing about the new LED, whatever it is, is not quite as useful as knowing the the, the conditions of that 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 make these jobs what they are and make them and make them and make them need to change. Right, right. The technology is going to be there. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's funny because well, yeah, the technology is going to be there. But for example, in China, even though you would think that you could get it because the lights are made there, because of the way the export taxes are and everything else, and then re you have to build a, a fixture, export it out of the country, and then re-import it. And it literally has to, uh, I, I believe, I, somebody might prove me wrong or correct <laughs> me on this, but I believe you do actually have to build it. You have to get it on a boat, take it out of the country, and then you have to literally bring it back in. You can't, you can't just buy it and then shift it over. If it's going to stay in the country, I think you have to buy it export it and then bring mm -hmm. it back in. Mm -hmm. If it's if it's from like Verilite or if it's Comar or something like that, you, you, it has to leave the country and come back in. So Well, I don't think Verilite built anything there, but yeah, some a bunch of manufacturers do. Okay. I, I thought Verilite had it, or it's still... Yeah, everything they have is stamp made in the USA. Oh, yeah. yeah. So. Um, so I know that you now have some experience with this. Yeah, uh, and a thing we like to call the SFK. I, yeah. uh, you know, you're the first ha actual hardware designer we've had on the show, so I'm all ears. <laughs> Tell us what the SFK is, and what its genesis was, and what and what it took to make it. Sure, um, the SFK is a two foot um, LED fixture. It's a five channel RGB warm white cool white fixture. Um, it, it originally started with us. Um, using fluorescence and using four foot fluorescence on jobs where um, using a, a wall grazer just was not the right fixture um, because of the gaps or um, you couldn't get them close enough to each other or it wasn't washing the wall immediately coming out of the fixture or we needed 12 inches from the floor to where the light was coming out and, and that wasn't acceptable for some of our clients. Um, we needed something that was like a two foot, like a four foot double tube um, fixture, and um, we needed something that was going to be easier than literally just getting hundreds and hundreds of feet of four foot fluorescent tubes, putting the tubes in, and then putting gel over them, um, and then putting and then putting a ground room masking over that. That that wasn't working anymore. It was just. Um, just from the standpoint of saying somebody comes in and we're told that we're going to do red in the whole room and we have 200, 300 feet of that, all of a sudden somebody comes in and says, no, well, the, the event changed. We're not doing red anymore. We're going to do blue. All of a sudden we're pulling off gel from two or 300 feet of fluorescence and putting new gel in. It just wasn't cost effective. It wasn't time effective. Um, so we started playing with, um, different things and, and we were looking at, at wall grazers and, and that was either too harsh or it wasn't giving us the look we were going for or um, we were trying to figure out what that what we would use other than that and couldn't really find anything and if we found it it was just an RGB fixture and that wasn't giving us the warms and the, and the cools and um, a lot of times I'm dealing with um, putting a color temperature on the walls or washing something with a different color temperature rather than washing it with a color. 
Yeah, it can be really painful to get like a light daylight blue out of an LED out of an RGB only fixture. Yeah. So we started um, literally just taking tape, LED tape, and we laid in LED tape over just a, an extruded um, channel. I gesticulate again. So we we started playing with um, we started just playing with um, um, that, just taking LED t LED tape, RGB tape, and laying it in a in a channel, and then putting a, a three channel dimmer on it, and just seeing if that would work. So that gave us the spread that we were looking for, and then we said, okay, well then let's take a, a, some warm white tape and let's like, take some cool white tape and lay it in that, and then all of a sudden we're at a three and a half inch wide channel that's two feet long, and um, started playing with that. Okay, fine. So then we, we made, um, I think we made a hundred of those at one point. And we would, we would set them up and we would, we'd have a little dimmer and the, and the dimmer was an outboard LED dimmer. And, and then we'd have a power supply and they wouldn't daisy chain. And, um, then we had these things that were our, um, LED amplifiers and we need one, needed one of those every five feet or every five fixtures. And all of a sudden, you know, what was supposed to replace a fluorescent took as much time as doing a fluorescent. At least it would color change, and at least we we had um, the ability to do something different when the client said that they weren't happy with the color, or the client the color didn't really match completely, or all of a sudden there's more daylight in the space, and you know they just whatever weren't happy with it. Um, so we had the ability now to put a color in there, but it was just painful. It was I mean, still we, time consuming. Yeah, it was still time consuming. It was consuming. It never it. We, we didn't reduce the amount of time that we had. And it wasn't like fluorescent where you just laid down the fixture and you put a piece of gel over it. It was now, you know, what at the time we were calling the amplifiers amp bombs. So we had these, these power supplies and then these amp bombs and then these linear strips. And so we would roll cases in and, and we'd be doing events and people would say, oh God, the SFKs are here, you know, and, and, you know, great, we're going to have to use these. And, you know, the people were dreading walking into the space and seeing, like, an empty wall because when when they, they looked at the empty wall, they said, oh, great, so Sean's going to bring the SFKs in here and we're going to have to run SFKs for 300 feet along this wall. It's it's uh, it's going to be painful. Just It's going to be just like the fluorescence. I'm, I'm not sure why we're doing this on a knot. So um, then we started evolving that where technology evolved at the same time and a lot of this we were relying on the technology that was existing to evolve the SOK and um, we didn't really think at the time that we were making a fixture we thought that we were just making something that was working for us to make our lives easier hopefully eventually and um, so we were waiting for to find something that would work with as a better dimmer and as a better power supply and um, so then we started evolving all of those parts. And then um, at a certain point, we were buying so much tape from the manufacturer that we said, well, if we, if we got rid of all of the LED tape and we made a board, what would the cost of the LED board be versus the tape? Eventually, at a certain point, the, the LED tape was costing us $160, so what, a, a, essentially um, $10 a foot or something like that. So. We, we found that by the time we made a, a board, that the board was going to cost us $75. So the, the board, slapping that into all of the fixtures, all of a sudden that was going to be easier than and cheaper than 
laying in tape and then you know one piece of tape because of the way it was um was was um just just from the fact that it's tape it's not as robust as having a board so and it's and it's inherently made to be flexible versus um having a, a dedicated pc board so we said okay well if if one part of it burns out that means we have to rip up a whole thing of tape and then we have to slap down an, another piece of tape and that's it's not gonna it's it, we've been spending tons of time just having people come back and re replacing tape excuse me and um and uh resoldering things and we spent hours and hours and hours like resoldering tape and putting all of that in so then we slapped the board in and all of a sudden that was like revolutionary for us because you didn't need to have we didn't need to have the tape and the leads and everything else now it's just six leads on the end of it um and then we worked with the same manufacturer and said okay well can we make a five channel board and we started testing it and and um just doing a, a lot of testing on on different um led dimmers and and what works, what doesn't work, what buttons are right, what buttons aren't right, and just kind of cobbled it together, started making all of the pieces. And then, um, ironically, we, about a year and a half ago, we had a client that said, well, we are going to be doing three dinners in China, and um, we, you're going to need to have some type of linear wash fixture to make, to make it work, and some of them are going to have to be battery operated, and some of them aren't going to be and um, you need a fixture that can do the white that we're talking about and can can do that uh, color temperature changing and can do everything else so start looking for a fixture so we did and we started talking to um, a number of rental houses in um, China and we realized that there was no fixture like what we were trying to do like what we what we had as the SFK in in New York so um, we ended up um, saying, well, if we're going to do that, we're, we're trying to figure out how we're going to get them made and when we're going to get them made. Well, now we have a job, so we'll just get them made. And we'll, the other fixtures that we um, can't get made or we don't have enough money to, to, to get 200 made, we'll just bring the ones that we had made from New York and we'll um, use them for this event. Um, so that was really the, the jump off point because then we said, okay, well, great. Now we can actually get the final prototype made and now we have a date that they need to be made by and we have essentially a client that's looking to use them. So um, let's, let's build them now and let's start doing all of the um, housing testing and, and put, the, put the board into the fixture and um, really change it. And, and, and get it done. So um, so that's when the SFK was like officially born and, and is now like a full fixture as opposed to 120 prototypes that we've been using for our events. So now it's all nice and uniform. Yeah, now it's not this kind of like shrink wrapped, you know, octopus that right. that we're you know bringing around into our events. And I mean that the fixture works great, but it, you know, I mean it's we'd rather have a, a real fixture. So now, yeah, it's a solid black housing with with cables that are coming off on, on the side. And um, we, we were able to incorporate um, bolt holes on it so that way we can put like a half cheese bar on it. And, 
and um, you know now we're now we're selling it as a fixture and we have two different options where it's the module where it's just the the board and the and the five channel dimmer or if it's the the full fixture the full housing so yeah so it's it's been fun how that how that's been changing and and you know i mean it's it's been great to bring it on site with uh with all of our crew so that you know we can get um direct feedback from it so the the way we did it allowed us to have immediate feedback from our crew <laughs> for better or for worse um so and then we'll give it whether you want it or not <laughs> yeah no but we were you know but no that's great to have the, somebody who can like play with it and say well here's where i think this would be better or whatever you know yeah. having that feedback is is priceless yeah and it helped to it helped to evolve the fixture over i mean it, it, this has kind of taken what two and a half almost three years so um from us making the fixture to then us realizing that we should make it into something we could sell, I mean, that was probably a year, but the two years of us having, of having the fixture and evolving it, um, you know, it was great to have that on site. So that way we had people looking at it and saying, oh, this is crap, we gotta fix this, or I can't believe you're, you know, you're using it for this, or hey, you know, I was thinking maybe we could use it here. And then um, as we evolved that, then we had, crew people and other people have seen it saying, do you, can I just rent them? Can I borrow them for a couple of days to try and use it on this? Or so, you know, we started letting people just have them or, or rent them at, you know, basically a low cost just to get the input back after, after the rental of saying, well, you know, it worked, but you know, this, this had to be moved here or, you know, would, it would have been really great if we had X. So, um, you know, it was kind of like, free feedback in some yeah. ways so or like beta testers for us so i mean i know i know it was designed for this sort of wall washer uh job that you were using fluorescence for but it has a fluorescent beam pattern so i mean it looks like it can be used to replace just about any fluorescent fixture including you know your kino style yeah thing you know where you, you know where you don't you, you you can't add and take away green if you need to yeah yeah, I mean, we, we've been using it a number of times where we're doing a, a, a one-on-one shoot for, a, you know, small film shoots, and um, we've used it as a, as a fluorescent replacement for that. So somebody draws the drapes, and instead of us, you know, throwing in some uh, color correction, we were just saying, okay, well, we're just changing it to warm light now instead of cool white, or, you know, the, maybe the, the background was a different color. So, yeah, we were, we were using it for that. Um, um, and, and yeah, that was kind of an offshoot, not really realizing that we could use it for that, um, application. And then we said, well, why don't we try to do that? And, um, so yeah, we've been using it as like a, a front fill replacement for, for, um, small events. Um, one of my assistants is using it a lot as a footlight. Um, this was the thing that I'm most interested in trying it out, trying it out as, which is highlights. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean it works great for that. So I'm I'm debating whether or not I'm going to take it to Portland to to be my footlight for for Carmen. Um, and I mean it it works perfect for that. Um, we've been using it inside of light boxes. So you know if if it's a one-off light box, we'll slap them all on the back of the wall and and we'll do it as a direct backlight for the light box and um, set the color temp so that way if if the printing wasn't set to a lot of times when when you're printing 
you request that the color temperature relates to the lights that you have inside of it. So um, if, if they printed it for 4100 and you brought 3000 watt or 3000 degree color temp um, fluorescent tubes, your color is going to be off. So, or a lot of times the printing didn't really come out as 4000 or 4100, it came off out as something else. So you're able to tweak it or someone says, oh, I, I want a little more red in that. So, you know, it, it works really well for us to use it as a, as a white box uh, fixture as well. So we've been working with um, some scenic companies that uh, we, we work with a number of times and, and we just replace all of the fluorescents with um, SFKs instead of, instead of fluorescents, yeah. So I think this leads well into talking about, you know, so you, you still do theater yep. as well and, and you also do, sh uh, do film and video mm -hmm. stuff as well. So when did you start doing film and video and what kind of stuff do you do? Um, I, I, I can't even remember when it was. It's it, probably in like 2002, 2003. Um, I, I started by um, being a, a programmer for, what, the Hot 2. And um, a friend of mine was the, uh, the lighting designer and programmer at, um, at BET. And he asked me to um, fill in for him. And um, so we would just go back and forth. He would do one week lighting uh, 106 in Park, and I would do it, and then we'd go back and forth. So um, I guess 2002 is when I started doing television and then learned how to light for television at BET. And then um, I started working with Alan Blacher as well, and then um, did a ton of shows with him. So, um, so I believe you worked on the show that I am still programming on, Rachel Ray. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I was kind of the moving light designer where I, I designed the original like moving light package for that and um, worked with Alan to design a lot of the keys for the performances and things like that at the, at the beginning of the, the run of that show. So that, that's kind of evolved to um, understanding what you needed lighting-wise for for television, for fashion shows. Um, I, I mean, the, the fashion kind of fed into the TV and vice versa. Uh, a lot of, a lot of reasons because you just needed to know what you needed for camera. So um, it, that gave me kind of the ease in, in working in, in, in both. Uh, and yeah, it just evolved into, you know, Rachel Ray. Uh, I was on Martha Stewart. Um, BET doing a, a number of their shows on BET, um, and then just doing specials and one-offs and things like that. What have you managed to bring from theater into TV? What have you managed to bring from theater into the events you do with CS? The TV part, I mean, it's it's being able to use. Maybe this is too basic, but being able to use at well, at the time, I guess it wasn't um, theatrical theatrical fixtures or understanding how to how to make those work and um, really um, with the crews and, and with the teams explaining how the theatrical fixtures worked other than Fresnels and, and 2K Zips and Psyche Nets. Um, being able to explain that and trying out different things with theatrical fixtures that somebody wouldn't think of. Um, so I think that's that's really been the, the, what I could bring to the television part. Um, the, uh, into theater and into um, 
special events. Yeah, it's it's understanding the idea of the the amount of light level you need for people to see to understand what's going on on stage, and um, understanding when you're lighting something. You know, in, in theater, you you check your your light level with your hand and you go through and you kind of understand. Oh, this is about the same. You know level wise okay so you know it's a little dark here so i have a hot spot so i have to fix this hot spot um with tv you need to meter that you need to have an understanding of that level with fashion you need to do the same thing so um that's allowed me to um, take the idea from tv on how to how, how to level things out and how to make it more even or how to tone things and really playing a lot more with contrast i think too is is um knowing when you can push things and you can drop them back in, in television and then how much you can really play with that in, in theater. So how did you get started? You know, what led you to going to purchase? How did you end up in the business? I went to Midwood High School in Brooklyn and then um, I was doing all of the, the theater shows and after school programs um, at, at Midwood and um, ended up just running the lights. And how did you end up doing that? Um, I, I guess two of the guys on the soccer team were also doing the AV squad. And so then I decided that I was going to join the AV squad and we all hung out and, um, it meant that I could, I had something to do between, um, playing soccer and, or yeah, between school and playing soccer. So I would go to the AV, AV office and, um, work there for a couple of hours and then we'd go over and play soccer and. Um, then, you know, it literally was me like setting up VCRs and cleaning and repairing VCRs for, for different teachers and cutting keys for everybody. And, um, then setting up the lighting system and, and having that ready for rehearsal that day. So I was kind of like the catch all and, and we all were doing the same thing. And so then that kind of evolved where I was a senior and I kept doing it and I like had a key, key for every room in the whole school and. Um, you know, it became, felt like it was cool to do that. So kept doing it. And then I, at the end, probably at the middle of the year, got a scholarship from purchase, or I mean, from, uh, from Midwood to, um, go and do theater. So I applied to purchase and a couple of other schools and got in and that's kind of it. I mean, it's, it was just deciding I was going to take it from there. So, um, what were the first couple of years at out of school like? Out of out of purchase, yeah. Um, it, I ended up doing a lot of opera, so I I got out of purchase and I was um, doing theater and doing opera, and so I was traveling the country for a, a, a while. Um, yeah, doing doing opera, and then um, to get into fashion. Um, Brian McDevitt's um, assistant, John Paul Schapansky, was working at um, a fashion company, and he said, "Well, I'm I'm doing a gig with Brian, so I can't um, I can't work this fashion week, and you're pretty quick on the lighting board, so why don't you replace me for fashion week?" So um, I started doing that, and then everything's kind of evolved, and it's it's funny because. Um, um, for years, I was working at Michigan Opera, and at Michigan Opera, I met Ken Smith. And um, before Ken Smith, this um, woman named Marilyn Renegal 
was the lighting director there. And Ken Smith and Marilyn Renegal are both good friends with Alan Blacher. So <laughs> my opera led to my television. So it, it's, it's been kind of this crazy cyclical thing. Which I, I, I couldn't, I didn't ever put any of that together until like three years ago because I didn't know any of them knew each other. Well, I knew a couple of people knew each other, but I didn't know how the whole evolution of, of different companies worked until I sat down and had drinks with a couple of people and found it all out. And it's like, wow, okay, so I've been following the same. Yeah, that's yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So I've been following the same group for, for years. Um, so yeah, that's uh, how, Kind of they've they've all kind of evolved, um, doing doing fashion and doing opera and, and television. It's been kind of with the same group. And were you designing fashion? I mean, not fashion. Um, were you designing the operas? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Throughout the country. Throughout the country. Yeah, Michigan Opera um, um, in Pittsburgh, you now Portland, um, Austin Lyric Opera. So. Yeah. It always surprises me how many uh, opera companies there are all over the country. Yeah. A friend of mine is a um, opera singer, and you know she comes into town to do auditions, and you know, because every opera company auditions people in New York, okay. and you know it's it's the you know there's always like three a day, and it's you know three places. I'm like, I didn't know that they had a opera, you know, opera company. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing how many little opera companies there are and big opera companies and I mean for a while that was my bread and butter I mean just I was probably for six years just traveling and lighting one opera after another and um, also then picking up a symphony here and there and lighting those at the same time and um, the opera would end they were like hey why don't you stay for another week we have a symphony show that we need we need lit okay sure so staying for that and then you know, then leaving to another one. Hey, I heard you did the symphony when you, while you were at you know at, at Michigan. Why don't you you know do do our show or you know we we have a small opera that's that's being done that's like a chamber opera. Why don't you like that after? Sure, yeah, okay, sounds good. So, you know, not a bad thing to yeah jump around with. A lot of times though, I, I and. I was doing that, and I would leave, and then I'd do fashion, you know, twice right. twice a year. But a lot of times, I, I I felt like when I was doing opera, I was also, you know, working as a TD or having some technical knowledge on that, so that I was being relied on to do that. So I was like, okay, well, I'm 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 spending a lot of time doing the the technical part of it too, and I like doing that as well. So um, I'm, I'm that's why I started kind of stopping, not not stopping, but when I slowed down how much opera I was doing and then started doing um, productions in New York and where I was not producing them, but I was working as the liaison between a producer and, and the technical companies to tell them, well, this is what you need here. This is how you do this and, and explaining that. So, What's the difference between opera and theater when it comes to how you assemble it and how, and how it gets teched? Assembling it, I think you're obviously listening to the music and you're um, moment to moment cueing what you're seeing theatrically, thematically, musically, and responding to that in in, in your design. Um, in theater, I think you're you're doing the same, but um, musicals and, and operas, and you're you're needing to take in 
into account the music a, a lot more and um, obviously and responding to uh, moments in the music um, and I think theater you 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 can say all right well there's a beat here and then this happens and then you know sound maybe does does a moment here maybe you're responding to that but it's not it's not I don't know expected understood assumed that you're going to do a moment at the same time musically or 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 sound wise in opera it's it's assumed and, and it's understood that you're you're responding to that um, and so there's a, a, a lot more timing that you have to do that's based on the music and and you're following that more than you are following you know what they're saying uh, you're you're following what what is happening emotionally, but I think you're 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 following moments and the the response and where you're placing cues and where the cues are moving are based on what's happening in the music, um, and it's that that's a huge difference because a lot of times you're you're reading the music and you're following and saying okay this music has to go on this downbeat here, rather than saying okay John crosses down stage left and then your cue goes. Um, I mean it. it it's Is made, it safe to say it's kind of like a functionality thing with straight theater as opposed to an emotional thing with musicals and operas? I mean, is that, I don't know if it's fair to say. No, everything so, is, I mean, ultimately everything is everything with yeah, that. That's yeah, that's true. But, I mean, like, I mean... It's still that, emotion. That's sort of like, yeah. a, that's more like musical cueing you're talking about. I mean, it's like, yeah. I guess, an opera cueing has a lot less cues. Because, I mean, you know, we'll do musicals and we'll have 800 light cues. Yeah, yeah. I mean, musicals. Yeah, you have eight hundred like cues, and you're responding to every every beat and every moment. Um, opera. I don't know. I I've been told that I'm cueier, you know, than than most than. Uh, you put more cues in. I put more cues in than than other people in terms of um, of a scene. You know, instead of saying, okay, well, you just turn it on, and you know, it just happens and just reacts. I mean, it also depends on the piece. Right. You know, a lot of the more modern opera. Um, you have to respond to moments and that has a shift and then the music changes and then you you have a resolve and you come out of that and then then you have to go into another movement or another action happens and um you're responding that beat to beat to beat where um more of the classical opera has just large musical moments where it's you, you could keep it in the same state i mean a lot of times it, it really depends on your audience i mean i I've, I've been I've been told that I've been cuey and um, on with some companies that works where they they appreciate m moments and changes in um, in the piece and in one single piece of music they appreciate that and it, it keeps it dynamic some places I've, I've heard you know just keep it the same and you know night is blue just keep it blue you know and and keep that moment and everybody's happy with it um, so I, it's it's really and that's the hard part in in opera is that you get a lot of different responses because people are some people are just um, putting on the opera to to show the piece and and do a classic piece and show it as you would see it now or see it twenty years ago or or whatever. But you know some people want it, want to change it and and evolve it as a as a piece. So you get different um, responses to that. I mean, just as theater and anything else, but 
it, it's that's really dependent. It seems like that's more of a case in, in opera where you have such a, a drastic difference in whether or not somebody is doing a piece where it's make it make it like you would understand a typical Carmen or you know we want to change it where we want it to be a little more interesting or or we want to change it so that way it's it's not a classic um, production and depends on what the set looks like or um, if you're using a rented set or if you're using a new set or if you're using a rented set but it's a different opera and you're just you're bringing in pieces to um, make it different so uh, it's 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 always that question of, of what what even though you're doing the opera what are you doing with it what how much are you really um, changing it how much are you really adding life to it or are you like you said doing a, a couple of cues at the beginning and the end of things and and just letting letting it breathe itself and you're you're lighting it on the way on that path but it's it's not something that you're really you know emoting at the same time and and that's the that's the that's the uh, hardest way to light opera where you're just for me where it's just letting it be and you're not you're not breathing with it you're not cueing I've it. seen a lot of operas where it's sort of like they're almost like saving up the change for this massive moment that this this incredibly dramatic shift that you're going to see four or five times in an act right. you know, and not you know not that there's not that there's not subtle things happening to brighten areas or darken areas down for, you know, as we go into another, as we go into another movements, right. but that, you know, it's like, we're, no, we're holding this, we're holding this, we're holding this, and now... Right. Well, it depends on the opera again. I mean, mm-hmm. there's operas you can do that with. You know, there, I mean, there's, I've, I've also seen a bunch of operas where they do that, and you're like, well, why did you do it here? No, that's fair. It's, <laughs> you know, the, the stylistically might not work for the opera that you're doing, but yeah. what you said about your audience is that that's what they're expecting. Yeah. And that's what... Well, you know, we paid you to be here to do to do what we want. Mm-hmm. To get the experience that we wanted our audience to experience, and yeah, yeah. Even, I mean, even I if I don't necessarily agree with that right. interpretation, right? Yeah, and I, I have a couple of jokes with a couple of friends that are in opera. You know, night is blue and death is red. You know, yes. and you know, people are expecting that when it's it's night, it goes to blue, and then when he she dies at the end, you know, you go all red. And, you know, it literally had people walk up to me at the tech table, and they were like, so you're doing your red cue at the end, right? And it's like, yeah, sure, that's how we're doing <laughs> right. this one. That's going to work. I think we're going to keep her alive this time. Yeah. Let's see. Well, so some of the strongest visuals I've ever seen in an opera were in a show called Monodramas at the NYC Opera a couple mm-hmm. years ago. It was one of the last shows they did before they closed, sadly. Uh, actually, do you have any thoughts about that? About the death of the NYC Opera? Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up with it. So, um, you know, being able to go there three or four times a year and, and um, experience that growing up as a, as a kid in New York, I mean, it was, you know, it was awesome to do that. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a shame that um, it, it closed. I mean, it's, um, I'm trying to level my opinion on certain things. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, New York City is had to lose the the company, um, you know. But I mean, it's, it's the company that Mayor LaGuardia created. Yeah, yeah, and it's coming back and as a different company now. And I, I don't know if it's a different name, um, but and I'll be interested to see how that evolves. But 
um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was uh, just in this country, you know, so many companies are closing year on year. It's, it's unfortunate, but um, it's just a testament to the fact that we're losing culture in this country and that it's not valued in the same way that it's valued in other, in other countries. And um, I mean, in, in other countries, you know, the opera is state run because it, it, it's understood that it has to be a, um, a, a stay in the culture and that it's necessary for arts and culture in, in those countries. And, and maybe it's because we have too many, too many opera companies in the, in the country. And the 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 state can't, um, can't fund all yeah can't fund all of them. But when it's the size of City Opera, it's you know it's unfortunate that you've lost that. And it's interesting to see you know then operas that are being done in the armories and just huge pieces there. It's um, there's, there's so clearly a desire for it, and yeah. so clearly a desire to present it, and so clearly a desire to experience it that it's sort of mm-hmm. what's the problem. I mean, it, it should be there, whether or not, you know, New York City, I mean, f- for years, obviously, New York City had two or two major opera companies, and hopefully we can continue that, and hopefully you know, the new company that's coming in, that's start, that's reviving um, City Opera can, can flourish, and I wish them well, because I have a couple of friends there. Um, awesome. Yeah, and um, we'll see, we'll see how that evolves. I'd love to see that do well in the, in the city and I'd love to see that being something that's a, a staple again so you know you mentioned you know the country's prizing culture and in a way different than, than ours and you traveled a lot you've been a lot of international shows um, are you are you bullish on New York as a place to do what we do yeah or, yeah. or are we nearing the end and nearing the end in New York is that what you mean yeah um, I always wonder that I always wonder if we're at a point where um, we're finally at a point where people have to move out of the, the city and go somewhere else. But then you see the amount of work that's happening in other countries and, you know, in China and London. And um, it's there's still a major amount of work here in New York and in the U.S. that um, I can't really say that. Um, we're at the end in New York, but I think the culture has to change where are either the city understands that um, you can't just do shows that are two million, three million, ten million dollars, but you know you need small theater companies, you need um, fledgling companies in the city, not just you know not in the boroughs as well, but you know in the city and and there has to be places for all of those shows. You can't kill your children. Yeah. They'll never grow up to be adults. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like sometimes, you know, the children are listening, you know. So it's, it, you can't, and if you if you get rid of it, and it, if you don't show that culture is worth something, even in the city, and you're, you're removing arts programs, you know, throughout the country, it's, how, how do you expect it to, to, Survive. I think I'm going off on a tangent on something else. No, no, no. I think it's something that we all really agree with, of course, with it's like obviously being in this industry, being in the arts ourselves, and coming from that, it's if you don't teach that to our children. Yeah, it's it's a critical thing that you know you mentioned two you know two large opera companies in New York. In New York, you can't have 
to you can't have any large companies in New York yeah. unless you have somewhere that those people came from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you don't come out of you don't just conservatory ready to step on the stage to the mat. Exactly. Well, here's an amazing thing: is that um, my wife has her own theater um, acting singing company. She teaches um, children uh, music and, and theater in in Westchester, and um, that started from her saying, "Okay, well, I there are." Um, there are schools in, in Mount Vernon and in Westchester that are getting rid of their arts programs. And so I'm going to fill that gap by basically sponsoring 50 kids at the time for them to come in and, um, and to teach them music. And, you know, these kids have raw talent, so I'm going to pull them in, and I don't care if they can afford it or not, I'm going to teach them. And um, then... It, it was kind of reversed as as that evolved. Then she's like, "Well, maybe I should start charging for this, and then charge kids to um, to get into a, a program and to learn how to do music." And you know, she was obviously sponsored so that she could teach all of those kids. But then all of a sudden, uh, about a year or two ago, there was a finding, or someone came up with a study that said that children that had stage presence or that were taught theater or that were taught um, speech in some way um, became better CEOs and and better um, business leaders. So then all of a sudden she started getting parents who are business leaders wanting to put their kids into her program so that they learned it. And so it wasn't, it wasn't about them learning learning it or, or learning the arts part of it, it was, okay, well, we're going to bring in the kids, um, some of these kids, because they were learning, they, they are learning how to speak better. And it's presence. Yeah, it's yeah. presence and everything else. So um, then her business kind of boomed in a different way because it was about the evolution of improving um, some children as leaders, right. not as, like, reintroducing theater. Into Just another thing for the one percenters to buy. <laughs> I'm well, sorry, just, that came out of order. Yeah, well, just well, watch out for those little the ones because they may just want to go off and be, you know, a theater star now instead of actually becoming that big business leader. Well, and and then you know <laughs> we're we're in that age where you know we have a nine year old, and so we're we're listening to all of these um, these children who are who are in in school, and then you know they're about they're at my daughter's uh, ballet company, and they're leaving to go to college and there's like two molecular biologists like one scientist three doctors so it's like wow so the arts is feeding into that feeding back into the arts and back and forth if, if they didn't have that then you know they wouldn't have the the um ability to do the the science part right. of it so you know it's all feeds together absolutely so we forget about that sometimes yeah <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I mean that's why it's you know that's why I still do the theater and, and the musical right. and you know my my wife's uh, shows and you know just to give back and also to um, keep the the artistry going. You go out, you get new experiences, bring them back. Yeah, yeah. Well, then the kids actually get to experience if you're in there too, and you're part of that. They see your side of it as well. It's not just about the dance or the thing that you're learning there in that class to speak and to act and to do these things, but to see you come in too as a lighting person yeah. and be like, 
oh, well, there's another thing that I can do with this. Yeah, and the same thing with the SFK. Okay. creative we can do. Bringing that in and showing the kids, like, look, I made this, you know, and, and my I daughter's like, this. look, my dad made this, you know. <laughs> that pride must be great, though, too, yeah, just to have that little moment, yeah. Well, it was fun to see her the first time, like, all excited with it. put it put it on a console and, like, let her play with it. It's like, here, figure this out. Yeah. Just, like, hand her the pieces, and I didn't actually even plug it in. I, like, handed her the pieces, pieces, and it said, here, figure this out, and then no, call me awesome. when you have it figured out. That's awesome. So it's all problem solving like, and figuring, yeah. yeah. It's the thing. I, I, I still think, I'm like, we're, it's not just fluffy, the arts. No, it's not. We actually do actually teach something with it. But that's why it's great, you know, it's, 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 I think a lot of our friends are at our age are realizing that, you know, we want to give back or we want to show how important um, the arts are or the, the tech part is. All right. Yeah. Sean, do you have any uh, less big idea for us here? <laughs> Was, yeah, anything you want to leave us with? No. Thanks. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for like, putting it that way. What, what is the one thing that you can say? to tie up everything we've said today and leave us with your legacy of having been here. Wow. And the Just one thing that you would feel okay with people thinking about you from now until eternity, because now that everything is digital, we know that these files will last forever. Forever. So no pressure. No pressure at all. I think I, I think one of the things that I've always done in, in my career and in my life is kind of to stay balanced and to um, always understand your base and always understand um, always evolve your base and maybe um, in terms of me um, being busy or in terms of um, what I've been doing in my career I've always liked to kind of dabble in everything and um, I always would get bored if I'm stuck in one thing and so um, being able to dabble in all of those different forms has kind of kept me interested fed work back and forth and um that's kind of been my understanding that's what i think everybody knows me for is is playing in a little bit of everything and um and enjoying what i'm doing and enjoying being able to bring all of those different things together um so if if, if that's the one thing that i give is that you know do do what you like and um don't be afraid to try it. I think that's 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 what I would say. All right. Thanks very much, Sean. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Casting Light Podcast. Big thanks to our guest this time, Sean Kaufman. Look him and his company, CS Global, up on the web at lighting.csglobal.co. Thank you to my co-host, Teresa Unfree. Visit her and her company at tajeventproductions.com. I'm your host, Jason Merrick, and this has been the Casting Light Podcast. Visit us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com, on Twitter at Podcasting Light, and on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. Thanks for downloading, thanks for listening, and have a good show.